Now, if you guys know me, you know I'm a bit of a nerd. One of the things that I do because of this is every day I check my bank account. That's not the most exciting thing I do of every day. It's, it's actually quite depressing to see where all that money is flying out. But I, I learned a long time ago, don't check it at night because that'll put you in a bad mood before you go to bed. But in the morning, after devotions and coffee sometime in the morning, check in just to make sure you know where your money's going. Make sure you, uh, nothing fishy is happening on the checking account. So back at the end of January, I had let two or three days slip before I had done that. And I went into my online banking and discovered all types of charges I didn't recognize. And they were all in Georgia, Big Lots, Kentucky Fried Chicken, the Burger King. And unless Beth had secretly gone to Georgia for a Big Lots trip that I didn't know about, and that was not the case, then I knew that fraud had occurred. And what a pain and nuisance that was. So I called the bank, canceled the cards, they sent me new cards. Then in addition to that, I had to fill out a bunch of paperwork to identify what we had spent, what they had spent. And I had forgotten after a few days of this that we actually had a second banking uh, checking account that was open through a different bank. It was a checking account that I don't use frequently, but it's a national bank, and so I like to have that for options when I travel and for different projects. And luckily, there wasn't a whole lot of money in that second checking account. I bank like a rich man, but I w I'm not a rich man when it comes to uh, spreading uh, money between many accounts. But I did go into that account, and sure enough, the exact same thing had happened. They had got my debit card numbers, and they had spent my money on something else. Now, who did this? Thieves did this. Thieves did this. People who wanted to take my resources, wanted to take money that was designed for my kids and my family and my church and my community, and they took that money and they used it for themselves. Now, I've not heard of this yet. Maybe you've heard of this, but have you heard of someone who has done a random act of kindness by stealing someone's debit card and just adding money to that bank account? No, that has not yet occurred. For whatever reason, random acts of kindness only happen at Starbucks or Chick-fil-A. Those are the only two places I ever hear about them. But no one steals a bank account and then give money to that bank account. And here's the reason why. is because thieves come to steal, thieves destroy, thieves attack. And that's why, you know, stealing is something that's part of the enemy's work. I just want to say this right now. If you are, if you are a thief you need to stop it. You need to stop. Somehow we've like excused thievery, like you don't understand social conditions and the pressure, like it's okay to steal. It's never okay to steal. It's never okay to do that. And that's part of the kingdom of darkness. And so in John chapter 10, Jesus talks about thieves, but he's really not trying to emphasize the fact that there are thieves in the world. He's trying to emphasize the fact that he is the opposite. Jesus doesn't take away. Jesus doesn't distract. Jesus doesn't make our life worse. He adds. Jesus enriches. Jesus gives. And that's what the story or the analogy of the good shepherd is all about. Jesus used 
common metaphors for the day to help people understand his kingdom. And in the first century, everyone knew something about shepherding. That was the basis of so much of the agrarian economy there. Everyone knew something about being a shepherd. And to this day, it's still such a great way for us to understand our relationship with God. Who is a shepherd and what does the good shepherd do? Well, the good shepherd does not steal, he gives. And what happened in that first century, I want to give you just a little bit of context before we read the scripture today. Often shepherds would leave the village and they would leave the village at certain times of the year. They would go out into where the sheep could get better pasture and better food and better water. And this leaving created some unique dynamics. When they would leave, they would, they would often gather all the sheep into one pen. So it would be many, many sheep with many different shepherds. And they would make a temporary makeshift sheep pen about six feet high, about my height here. And at night, they would put all of the sheep in this one pen. And then the next day, how do you think the sheep knew who their shepherd was? Because the shepherd had a very distinct call. And that shepherd would lead them out. And it's kind of that picture that helps us understand what Jesus is saying here in John chapter 10. So I'll go ahead and let's read the scripture together because it doesn't need a whole lot of explanation once you have some of this context. John chapter 10, starting with verse 1. I assure you, anyone who doesn't enter the sheep pen by the door but climbs in some other way is a thief and robber. The one who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. The doorkeeper opens it for him, and the sheep hears his voice. He calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he has brought all his own outside, he goes ahead of them. The sheep follow him because they recognize his voice. They will never follow a stranger. Instead, they will run away from him because they don't recognize the voice of strangers. Jesus gave them this illustration, but they did not understand what he was telling them. Verse 7, so Jesus said again, I assure you, I am the door of the sheep. All who came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep didn't listen to them. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will come in and go out and find pasture. A thief comes only to steal and to kill and to destroy. I have come that they may have life and have it in abundance. Something we all need is we all need leadership in our life. Every single one of us need multiple leaders. What I want you to see from today's message is this metaphor of a shepherd is a metaphor of leadership. Every single one of us need the leadership of Jesus in our life. Because the various leaders that impact us, every single one of them are going to disappoint us. Not one single person in our life can ever completely satisfy us, but there is a good shepherd, and he fills in the gaps, and he completes our soul, and he satisfies us. And that's who we're going to focus on today, our good shepherd. My 15-year-old son, Luke, is learning how to drive right now, 
He has a learning permit. I'm letting that soak into you so you can put me on your prayer list. This just invites a sermon illustration, does it not? Luke is actually quite a good driver. And he's doing really, really well at this point of his development. We've, we've driven probably seven or eight times. And he actually does, you know, we, don't, we are not supposed to compare to siblings. So I don't want to do that publicly. But he does have a sibling who's older than him that he's actually doing better than in driving. I hope you don't figure out who that is. <laughs> and he's very focused. I mean, 10 and 2, man. He's, he's, he's just cruising, man. He's, he's 10 and 2. He's focused. He knows what he's doing. And so the experience has been quite pleasant. But every time we have driven, the guy is doing great. He's focused. He's doing everything you're supposed to do. And, and as we're riding, all of a sudden there's a random mailbox on the side of the road, and the car just starts heading towards that mailbox with rapid speed every single time. Now, this is the point as a parent, you begin to think of all the different ways you've been trained, especially in some of the contemporary ways we parent. And as the car is moving at 30 miles, miles an hour towards the mailbox, is this a time for me to begin to use all of the parenting techniques I've read about and learned. Like, I'm going to carefully consider Luke's self-image. Because if I use too, a too authoritarian tone, it may, it may cause him to, to have negative emotions associated with driving. Am I thinking about this as a car is moving towards the mailbox? Am I worried about my tone of voice? Am I saying, hey, buddy, can I give you an option? You can either choose to hit the mailbox or not. No, none of those techniques work. What do I say? I say, move! And simultaneously, God has given a great gift to parents. You scream, move, and you can grab that steering wheel by the left hand and make an adjustment. During this time, there is no room for discussion. There is no room for debate. I am asserting my authority with him because I want to protect the neighbor's mailbox. I want to protect the vehicle. And I want him to continue to have a positive experience. You know that really my kind of emotive response, my, my knee-jerk response is an expression of love, is it not? Because when we have someone who really loves us, that person protects us, and that person protects us through often correction. Here's the first thing that I want you to see from the passage today. I'm going to give you three ways we can learn about Jesus through this passage and three things Jesus is saying to us. Here's the first one. Jesus says, I will protect you. I will protect you. That's part of what the shepherd does. The shepherd protects us. The, the shepherd protects us. He doesn't necessarily always protect us from a bad day or negative circumstance. This is what the shepherd protects us from. He protects us from sin. He protects us from sin. Because we have the characteristics of a, of a sheep. All we like sheep, we go astray. Every single one of us will wander from God without Jesus' leadership in our life. The hymn that we sing sometime confesses, prone to wonder, Lord, I feel it. We can feel sometimes our heart drifting. We can feel sometimes our, our faith 
is not as vigorous as it once was. And part of having a leader in your life and part of Jesus being your leader and part of having a shepherd is a shepherd. He comes and he brings discipline and correction to our life. Most of us have either memorized or we're familiar with Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He maketh me lie in green pastures. He leadeth me beside still waters. He restores my soul. So on and so on. I won't repeat all of it. But there's an interesting part of Psalm 23. It says, your rod and your staff comfort me. Now, this is really an interesting phrase because the shepherd's rod and staff is a weapon. I mean, this rod and staff, as you've seen, you can imagine in your mind, is something that is used to throw it down hand-to-hand combat with a thief, with a wild animal, with someone who doesn't belong there. No doubt that the shepherd uses his rod to disrupt fighting between the sheep. The shepherd, no doubt, uses his rod to get the sheep in line. And the hook is used to yank those stray sheep back to the fold. How many know that it's probably not that pleasant to get whacked by a rod, to get your neck yanked by a shepherd's staff? But the correction of the Lord keeps us where we're supposed to be. If you don't have a Jesus who never corrects you, you don't have a Jesus who really loves you. See, we've created this Jesus in our mind. It's a Jesus that just makes us feel good all the time. A Jesus that just affirms our own image. A Jesus who who just affirms our self-image and who just delights in everything we do. Jesus delights in everything we do as far as our individuality, as far as our unique expressions and talents. But Jesus doesn't delight in our sin. Jesus judges our sin. He corrects our sin. And he says that we need to get in line. And he tells us through his word and even through the church community that some things he doesn't approve of. And why does he not approve of sin? Because he's protecting us. See, sin is appealing. If sin wasn't appealing, it wouldn't be temptation, would it? Right? It is appealing. That's why the good shepherd uses his staff and rod and brings us back into the fold, corrects us, prods us along. He does it because he loves us and he's trying to protect us because he knows if we're isolated and by ourselves, we'll get attacked by the enemy. That thief that is there to steal and to kill and destroy us when we're isolated and by ourselves and unprotected, we're so vulnerable at that time. I'm so grateful that we have a good shepherd who protects us. One of the ways the shepherds protect the sheep is they put oil on the head of the sheep. This serves as an insect repellent. It also reduces the friction when the sheep butt heads. We believe, according to James 5, in the symbolic anointing oil. The anointing oil symbolizes the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit repels predators in our life. The Holy Spirit helps us reduce the friction in our families. It helps reduce the friction in our churches. It helps reduce the frictions between children and parents, between coworkers. That's what the anointing does. That's what the Holy Spirit does. The Holy Spirit protects us. It repels predators. The Holy Spirit causes 
unity to come, and it helps the friction that happens when people get together. It reduces that. Our family, we spend a lot of time together. And I've noticed this, that just because I'm walking with God, just because I had my devotions that morning, just because I've maybe said no to sin, that doesn't mean I don't get on Beth's nerves. It doesn't mean that I don't misspeak to my children. It doesn't mean that there's not tension. There's not friction. Because whenever people get together, there's friction. This is why the first century church, if you read about Paul and Peter and the things that they were addressing to the church, they were always solving problems. There's always problems when people get together. But when the anointing comes, it reduces that friction. The power of the Holy Spirit, it causes us to be less selfish. It causes us to apologize quickly. It causes us to be correctable. And so it is that I've found that in my life that when I'm spending time in prayer and I'm spending time with God's presence, I still make mistakes. I still make missteps. There's still communication gaps in our family, among our staff, among the different environments that I'm in. But I'm very quick to repent. I'm very quick to say I'm sorry. Very, I'm much more quick to try to make things right. We forgive each other quickly. That's what happens when the anointing of the Holy Spirit comes. You don't hold grudges. You don't, you don't remember people's missteps and mistakes. You just move on. You move on. This is part of the protective power of God. This is part of the protective power of God. That He is here to protect us from evil and sin. And I feel a little bit like I'm in a time capsule right now. Not in a capsule, but I've done time travel. Let's put it that way. Like, if this service right now, right now, this service right now, if in some future date you could come back here right now and you could say, I, I, I want to follow God's ways. I want to repent of my sin. I, I want to follow the leadership of Jesus in my life. I promise you, your future would have been much better. So why not make that decision right now? Why, why not make that decision right now? Let the shepherd lead you. Let the shepherd guide you. Let the shepherd make a true difference in your life because he will make the difference and he's here to protect you. He's here to protect us most of all from ourselves, from our tendency to wander, our tendency to go astray. And he's protecting us simultaneously from the thieves and the robbers who want to take away from our lives. Occasionally I'll go uh, play basketball there in the back parking lot with the high schoolers and junior hires. These day, I, days, I prefer the junior hires more than the high schoolers. It's funny how you, how you age. And when I make a, a sweet move in the lane and dazzle the children, <laughs> and I refrain from dunking because I don't want to be prideful, but when I put that, smooth, that basketball smoothly into the basket, this is an appropriate phrase these days. Jacob, you may remember this. I own you, man. I own you, all right? Have y'all heard that phrase before? If you, if you do something great on the basketball, I own you. I mean, that's a phrase of pride. That's a phrase of arrogancy. So I'll try to repent publicly of using that phrase now on, on, on the court. But I will say this, is that even though that has become kind of a colloquialism that is just kind of full of pride and full of arrogance, this is my second point. It's meant in a much better way. Jesus says to us, I own you. And it's not meant, it's not meant in a derogatory, prideful way. He's saying that because he's invested in you. Jesus is invested in you. He owns you. 
Some of you have been with you after you've bought a new car. Don't you love the smell of a new car, right? And there's something like holy about the new car. The plastic, the temporary plastic stays on for several weeks. You know, the, 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 the part that you peel off? Because you want to make sure no mud can touch the holiness of the new car. And the idea of french fries entering that new car, no way. There is no way fast food is going to enter the new car. Why? Because it's new. It's nice. You own it. It's yours. Then there's rental cars. Rental cars is the exact opposite. Same same year, same model, new cars. But, man, rental cars, we get a gum wrapper, just throw it on the floor. Fast food, yeah, let's eat in the car. Who cares? Who cares if, uh, if the food falls on the floor, if it smells bad? It doesn't really matter. Why? Because... First of all, we know we're paying for someone else to clean it when, when we return it to the airport. Maybe it's not the most noble thought. But the other part is the reality is that we don't own it. We're just using it for two or three days. We're using it for a week. It's not really the best Christian ethic, but it is, it's often what the case is. Because there's a difference between renting and there's a difference between owning. When Jesus says he owns you, it means he's invested in you. It means he has your welfare in mind. It means he has the best for you. The ownership of Jesus on you goes well for you. Because Jesus owned you, it means you get the best care possible. Because Jesus has asserted his ownership over you, he's watching over you. He's making sure God's best comes to pass in your life. Look at verse 12 and 13. This is what it, it talks about a different type of shepherd. The hired man, since he is not the shepherd, and doesn't own the sheep, leaves them and runs away when he sees a wolf coming. The wolf then snatches and scatters them. Verse 13, this happens because he is a hired man and doesn't care about the sheep. We'll have a lot of leaders come in and out of our life. In fact, there's this thought of you have certain mentors and at some point you have to fire a mentor in order to get a new mentor, then sometimes a mentor fires us. Leaders come in and out of our life all the time, depending on our occupation, uh, depending on whatever expression that we have. And God, it's probably good. It's probably good that we're not following this one person all of our lives. But the one consistent person in our life is the good shepherd. The good shepherd owns us. A lot of times we have this, this kind of unspoken relationship with other leaders in our lives. It's like, We'll follow you as long as you provide for us. And then, on the other hand, the leader has that same attitude towards us. I'll lead you and invest in you as long as I'm getting something from you. This has caused a lot of hurt. This has caused a lot of damage in people. It's one of the reasons why many, many Christians this morning are sitting at home instead of being at church because they've been hurt maybe by poor leadership or their interpretation of what poor leadership was. Or maybe it's because... You know, we felt like someone was using us, like they were a hireling. Well, that has happened and that will happen, but that doesn't give us an excuse not to be in God's house because a good shepherd will never hurt us, will never damage us. One of the things I want to accomplish through this message today is to get your eyes on Jesus. He's not going to disappoint you. He's not going to let you down. 
Jesus is going to be consistent. And even if someone really important to you doesn't believe in you anymore, Jesus still believes in you. And even if you've been disappointed, it gives you an opportunity to rise above the disappointment and to look past that earthly person and look to Jesus and let him be the fulfillment. So that's where our faith has to maturate. You know, being with with men's Bible studies and men's small groups, we'll ask the question, well, how did he get in church? Or how did he get involved in church? 70% of the time, here's how the guys respond. Well, I was dating a girl one time, or I knew a girl one time. Thank God for pretty girls, or the church would be empty today of men. God has used pretty girls to bring guys to church. But here's, here's my point here. My point is this, is, that at some point, guys, it can't be about our girlfriend or our spouse. It has to be about us and God. At some point, we need to realize that that might be our story in the past. And that's how we entered in. We entered in through a girlfriend or a spouse or dating or whatever the case is. But that's not what, what is going to keep us. What's going to keep us is a relationship with the Good Shepherd. The Good Shepherd wants leadership in your life. He wants involvement in your life. He wants to protect you. Because he owns you and he wants the best for you. The fact that he owns you is a blessing. It's not a restriction. It's an opportunity. It's what he has for you. In 1925, there was a doctor. Evan Keith was his name. And he had a theory that local anesthesia would be safer and better for patients. There was less risk for the patients to be knocked out. And it would be a much better situation for everyone. Many, many doctors for years agreed with him. They agreed that that would be the best method possible, but everyone was scared to try the method. So on February 23rd, 1925, Dr. Keith finally did the surgery. And it was a very unusual surgery that he was part of because he wasn't actually the doctor. He was the patient. He had to demonstrate that day that he was to be the patient so that in the future, as the doctor, his patients would trust the system. And it's changed medicine since then. And it reminds us of what God has done for us in a much greater, in greater and, and, and more vast way. As God became man, showed us how to live, showed us how to die, showed us how to live in the resurrection so we could have the life that he wants us to have. I want you to Write down this last point here. Jesus says to you, he says, I give myself for your benefit. I give my life for your benefit. That's what the good shepherd does. The good shepherd gives gifts. He doesn't take. The good shepherd doesn't take from you. The good shepherd doesn't use you. The problem is with being used is when, when the thief is done with us, he'll discard us. When we're not useful, he'll throw us aside. But the good shepherd says, I'm there for you. I own you. I give my life for your benefit so that the best will happen. And this is what he said in verse 11. Jesus said this, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. This theme continues in verse 14 and 15. He says, I am the good shepherd. I know my own sheep and they know me. As the Father knows me and I know the Father, I lay down my life for the sheep. And as we begin to prepare to go to the Lord's table today. We're reminded of this gospel story. We're reminded of a good shepherd who not only protects us, 
not only asserts his ownership in our life, but he sacrificially gives everything so that we would know how to live. And the message of the cross and the message of the resurrection continues to remind us that God is the leader we need. And Jesus is the leader that all of us need. I want us to stand together today and we're going to have a few minutes here together to experience God before I give our dismissal in just a few minutes. But I, I hope the power of the scripture today is stirring you up because God has called you into relationship with Him. And part of the being, following the Good Shepherd is being able to answer this question for this week. For this week, I want you to answer this question. God, how are you leading me this week? How is God leading you this week? Is He leading you to restart scripture reading again? I know often in the month of May, we've abandoned our Bible reading plans and maybe some of our New Year's resolutions. And it's not about that. It's about what you do tomorrow. So start reading your scripture again tomorrow. Maybe some of you have been unkind to a coworker, And you have a coworker that just, you just made the excuse that that person kind of deserves your disdain and your negative attitude. And Jesus, the good shepherd, is leading you right now. And he's saying, that is not right for you. I'm giving you some examples because the good shepherd leads us as a flock, but he also leads us individually as part of the flock. He's calling you to be a better neighbor. He's calling you to be a better parent. He's calling you to say no to a hobby so you can say yes to more time with your kids. Maybe he's calling you maybe to say no to work and actually get involved in a hobby again because you've not recreated yourself. You've eliminated recreation from your life and you're becoming grumpy and you're, you're dying on the inside. You're on the way to burnout and the Lord's saying you need a Sabbath. You see the Lord speaking different ways to different people. Do you understand? The good shepherd knows what you need. The good shepherd knows where you need to go. The good shepherd knows where you don't need to be. And the correction of the Lord is a good thing for you. If the Lord is saying today that that attitude is wrong, that use of language is wrong, that action is wrong, He loves you, He loves you, He loves you, and He is is marking you with His anointing. Some of us are very fearful of the marking of the anointing of the Holy Spirit. Some of you have an irrational fear of the Holy Spirit, and you're cutting off much of God's activity in your life. The Holy Spirit wants to get beyond your Sunday morning experience. The Holy Spirit wants to get beyond your devotional experience. The Holy Spirit wants to comfort you and teach you and lead you. And the Good Shepherd, He is coming as a form of the Holy Spirit in your life. But you've eliminated that. You said, no, 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 God. I don't want that. I don't want that. Because of some kind of social or religious stigma. And and you need to change today. You need to open your heart to the Holy Spirit. Just because someone has been goofy about the Holy Spirit in the past, it's not the Holy Spirit's fault. It's that goofy person's fault, right? You need to repent of that. You need to to open your heart to everything God has. I'm giving you some examples because the Good Shepherd's speaking to us today. He's speaking to us today. What we're going to do is we're going to go to a response time just for a few minutes before I give our formal dismissal. And you'll have the opportunity, if you choose to take communion today, you can take communion. I won't give instructions on what to do. I know this, that, that all of you who believe in Jesus are welcome. You do not have to be a covenant partner or a member of our church to take communion. 
but we ask that you take it in a way that's worthy. It doesn't mean you're perfect. It means that you understand the gravity of what Jesus did on the cross and through his resurrection. And so in a moment, you can take the bread and cup on your own if you so choose. They're here at the front. They're also available at the back. I think it'd be most helpful if we came down this aisle and then the, the aisle I'm pointing to now, and we can return on the outside aisles and return in the middle aisle. That, that would be most helpful if we can do that. And you can take that when you're ready by yourself, or you can take it with someone that uh, you know or want to pray with. And then I'll be down here to pray with you. We'll have other pastors and prayer partners available to pray with you down here at the front. So if you need special prayer, we'd love to pray with you. We'd love to pray with you in the prayer of agreement that God can touch you. That's one of the ways we get leadership. One of the ways that the Good Shepherd leads us, he leads us through church community. He leads us through the small groups we're part of. He leads us through this shared experience we've had this morning. Lord, we dedicate this time to you. We ask that whatever you need to do in people's lives, you would do. Lord, for those who need to receive prayer today, I pray that they would receive it willingly. Lord, for those who are going to the Lord's table, Lord, for those who, who will be reviewing uh, the, the scripture and the passage today, we pray that you would speak to them through that passage today. And Father, we also ask God that um, the good shepherd, Lord, Lord, you would, you would just show us new strength and new direction from you, God. Lord, as Abby leads us in this song, I pray that even the song as it's sung over people would bring them life and vitality and strength. We dedicate all of this to you. In the powerful name of Jesus, we pray. The table of the Lord is open. Let's spend time responding to God today.